Hi friends, and what's good y'all? Chris Weber, AKA Schwebzy here, reporting for Solo Duty. Jordan's not here because he's been tasked with cataloging, capturing, training, and battling hundreds of creatures in what frankly sounds like animal abuse with extra steps. He left a note before he left saying that something about wanting to be the very best that no one ever was to catch them as his real quest, etc., etc., etc. I heard that the first creature he got was something called a, a, a Bulbasaur. Bul- bul- something like that. Bulbasaur. Because he doesn't like a challenge like when he refused to make a Jeff McNeil related board bet with me this offseason. Is Jordan actually out catching Pokemon? No. Was this just another reason for me to call him a coward for not making that board bet with me? Maybe. While he isn't out there catching them all, what he did actually catch was COVID, unfortunately, which is the actual reason I'm by myself here this week, and the reason that this episode will be roughly 30% as good as usual, and I'm sorry in advance. Actually, I'm not sorry, because no matter what I do, I do not get the hate mail that I deserve. I practically beg for it. And fun fact, the last piece of hate mail that I received was on September 8th, 2021. And that wasn't even real hate mail. That was simply friend of the podcast, Joe Lowry of Prospects Live, trying to be nice by being barely mean. If you do find it in your heart to say mean things to me, you can reach out to us at our shared mailbox in the deep pl at gmail.com or at any of our Twitter accounts. Our shared account at in the deep pl, Jordan's Twitter account at bunt singles, or my own account, Schwebsi, S H W E B S I. Now, if the last time I flew solo is any indication, we're in for a shorter episode than usual, probably about half the length, the the, uh, normal length of an episode, probably about a half hour or so, because in spite of loving the sound of my own voice as much as I do, I would not wish listening to me for an hour straight upon my greatest enemy. Jordan, maybe, but not my greatest enemy. Well, let's get to it. I'm going to do my usual two deep dives today, starting off with John Birdie. Fantasy Pros has a fun feature where you can get player raider rankings for time frames, like the last 15 days, the last 30 days, last week, whatever. When I first looked this up on Thursday, the number one player over the previous 15 days was, amazingly, John Birdie. Looking back on looking at this same 15-day stretch again on Friday, he's way down at a pathetic number 17, but the point still stands. He has been incredible lately. I'm also cheating a little bit here because when I first started putting this episode together on Thursday, John Birdie just squeaked in at 19%, but he's now technically out of our range as he is sitting at 22% rostered in ESPN and Yahoo as people finally catch on to the absurd heater that he is on. The only uh, the only three things that you really need to know about John Birdie is that he's fast, he's really fast, and apparently, according to baseball reference, his nickname is Birdman supposedly uh, no relation to the rapper, basketball player, or Michael Keaton, as far as I'm aware. Really, it's more the first two things. Uh, In his career now, John Birdie has piled up 844 plate appearances and has 49 stolen bases in those 844 plate appearances. That's like a, I don't know, a 35 stolen base pace for a full season. And this year, he's kicked it into an even higher gear, and his 162 game pace right now is 69 stolen bases, which is obviously very, very nice. He's currently at 14 steals in only 122 plate appearances, which in the modern era is just a ridiculous rate. 
that's territory that only like the the Adalberto Mondeses of the world really reach anymore. Stolen base intent is one of those things that we can't really predict. Otherwise, you know, Julio Rodriguez's ADP would have been way, way higher. We all knew that Birdie was fast and he would steal bases if he played, but we didn't know that he'd play this much, and we also didn't know that he'd decide to steal even more than he did historically. I can't say with any certainty that he'll continue to run with quite this frequency, but I feel really comfortable saying that as long as his playing time keeps up, he's going to be a difference maker in leagues, he's going to be among the league leaders in stolen bases. I think his 279 batting average is a little bit higher than we can expect going forward, but this is also a dude with a career 328 BABIP and four partial seasons over 350. So I don't actually feel comfortable saying that his BABIP is going to regress like a normal player. We're probably only talking about a handful of singles over the course of a season either way. It's not really enough to move his value drastically. His current walk rate is a near career high 13.9% which if he were able to maintain it would be amazing for his fantasy value going forward because I mean, you know, the old adage about not being able to steal first base, but unfortunately I'm not really seeing it. Like there's nothing in his plate discipline numbers that scream to me, Hey, this guy is better now, or he has a better plan or there's like a skill improvement or whatever. It's not all bad though as he can see some batting average and OBP decline and still be a valuable run and stolen base asset. Anybody who runs this frequently is valuable in fantasy. That's just how it is when stolen bases are 10% of our standard categories. So basically, I think he can be like 80% of the player that he's been over the past, past few weeks, but will he get the opportunity to do so? He's been playing basically every day, since both Brian Anderson and former in-the-deep mascot Joey Wendell hit the IL around the same time. And both of those guys are moving on to live BP soon in their rehab, so we're probably about a week or two away from both of them being activated again. Unfortunately, so far this year, we haven't really seen a Marlins team with all of Birdie, Wendell, and Brian Anderson healthy, so it's hard to say what Birdie's opportunity is going to be going forward. All I can really say is that his versatility and his ability to play center field gives him a good chance to keep getting utility plate appearances even once everyone is healthy. My advice here is that if you need steals, birdie is a must-add. No one out there is volume stealing like this right now. Nobody. And even if it's only another couple of weeks of everyday playing time, birdie might get you five more stolen bases in that time with the way he's been going. He literally got another stolen base today as I was writing this. I really don't think this is a new level of production for him as far as non-stolen base things, but ride him while he's hot uh, if, (laughs) if you've got the need for speed. That was so cheesy that I read ahead and it made me break because I knew how cheesy the thing I was about to say was going to be. All right, and on to our second player today. If I told you that there was a catcher that was rostered in fewer than 20% of leagues that was better than 88th percentile in baseball, all all of baseball in ex-WOBA, expected batting average, expected slugging, barrel rate, exit velocity, and hard hit percentage, would that interest you? What if that catcher also had 70th percentile sprint speed and four stolen bases? 
What if I told you that that catcher was a 30-year-old that was last seen playing in the KBO in 2019 and hasn't seen any extended MLB playing time since 2016? Would it sound like I was just making this up as I went along because it was so ridiculous? Well, this ridiculous player does in fact exist, and it's Christian Betancourt. I absolutely expect some listeners to hear that name and respond with, who? Because he has truly come completely out of nowhere to thrive this year. I literally, I took his savant page, the uh, the red and blue sliders at the top, his percentiles, and I posted them in the PitcherList Discord trivia channel. And I just said, hey, here's, here's some baseball savant information. Who is this player? And no one got it until I gave a hint that was like so obvious it could have only been like a couple of players. He's so far off of everyone's radar and he's performing so well. Like it's just honestly, it's it's shocking to me. So right now, Betancourt started the year as the backup catcher and first baseman for the athletics. And yes, he's on the Oakland Athletics, if you were not aware. Another reason that he is in obscurity. So he, he occasionally saw regular starts depending on who was hurt on the athletics at the time. But even though the playing time wasn't consistent early on, the production was. He just low-key crushed the ball basically from day one this year. At the start of the year, the production didn't really match the batted ball data. But that's changed lately as his actual production seems to be regressing towards his 400x Woba. Like, the X stats aren't coming down. The normal stats are, are going up to meet the expected stats, which is, you know, the good kind of regression, the kind of regression that we like to see. He actually at the moment has the fifth biggest gap in baseball between his ex-WOBA and his actual WOBA, right next to fellow underperformers like J.D. Davis and Christian Walker. I was actually, uh, I was live streaming for the first time in ages uh, our, our, my preparation for this episode because I, I didn't have Jordan with me and I didn't want to be alone. So I needed, a, I needed some company from the community and uh, my, my, my listeners. And what I kept finding myself saying is what a weird profile this is. I really, I, I came away from looking at Betancourt with three takeaways. One is, wow, does he hit the ball hard? You can't fake this. You, you cannot fake hitting the ball this hard, this consistently. That's, this is clearly a skill that Betancourt owns and regularly hitting the ball hard is one of the best skills you can possess as a hitter. Secondly, I have to imagine that this K rate is going to go up. That's a bad thing, obviously. His, the reason, one of the reasons his profile is so weird is because he swings and misses all the time. He chases all the time, but his strikeout rate isn't that bad. It's like, it, it doesn't make sense. It's really uncommon for someone to swing and miss this frequently and chase this frequently, but also not strike out all that much. And thirdly, his batted ball distribution is just straight up not conducive to power, I don't think. Bencourt hits all of his grounders to his pull side, and he hits all of his fly balls to the opposite field, which isn't really what you want to see out of your power bats. So far, all of his home runs have been either straight away or to the opposite field. And that's generally not where you want to find your dingers, especially at Oakland's stadium, the Coliseum, 
which generally favors a righty's pull side. What's even more interesting about this is that he's done particularly well this year on pitches inside and poorly on pitches away. Intuitively, you would think that an opposite field power guy would do well on pitches outside, but I also watched him hit a 96 mile an hour sinker inside 425 feet to the opposite field. So what do I know? Christian Betancourt just defies belief. I think most of my analysis here is mostly of the yeah, duh variety. Betancourt is playing every day. He's playing for a bad team, so he'll likely continue to keep playing. And he's eligible at the worst position in fantasy baseball and often plays at non-catcher positions so he can accumulate more plate appearances than the average catcher. I think I'd honestly be jumping on this in any league of any size. Maybe not like an eight-teamer, but anything bigger than that. Catchers have been abysmal this year. I don't think there are 10 catchers better than him. If I had someone in the back half of the top 12 or I was dealing with like a Mitch Garver or Tyler Stevenson injury or whatever, I would pick up Bentoncourt and I probably wind up being pleasantly surprised with the production. And now we're going to take a quick break for an ad. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, and we are back. So what I'm going to do now is I am going to run through a bunch of honorable mentions, guys that I considered talking more in depth about, but you know, wound up opting to uh, to go through Betancourt and Birdie instead. Doesn't mean I don't like them; just means I like them a little bit less or find them a little bit less interesting. So the first guy I wanted to mention. Well, the, the first two, we kind of got a pairing here. It's a couple of rookies who have started off playing really well. First is Ezekiel Duran from the Texas Rangers. I'm just going to come right out and say it. It's not going to be much of a deep dive, but I don't think he's playing. I, I think he's playing way over his head right now. I don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy what he's done so far. He's below league average so far in pretty much every plate discipline metric. And it seems like he's gotten pretty lucky so far on his batted ball results. He does have a consistent role and he will accumulate starts for uh, stats and starts for those of you in deep leagues where anyone getting plate appearances should be rostered. And, you know, he's, he's, he runs, which again is always valuable in fantasy baseball, but I think we've probably already seen his best stretch of the season. Now on the opposite side of that, a guy that I really like what he's done so far Alec Thomas of the Diamondbacks. Shocking, I know, that I like a Diamondback. Uh, I was looking for an acronym a couple of weeks back for the uh, Giants, the Diamondbacks, the Mets, and the Brewers. 
and my one of my best friends suggested to me calling them like the rebel alliance because all four of those teams all four of those cities at some point fielded a team that played against the yankees in a world series the yankees you know known as the evil empire in some circles i like it i liked it i i told i told him no because technically it was the milwaukee braves not the milwaukee brewers that played the yankees and technically it was uh what was it? It was the New York Giants and not the San Francisco Giants. But I mean, it kind of works. You know, if you if you like it or don't like it, let us know. I got, I'll uh, drop the uh, social media stuff again at the end. But I digress. Alec Thomas. Between these, uh, between the two guys, between Duran and Thomas, I definitely like Alec Thomas more. And if I had the option between the two, this is the direction I would lean. I believe more in the skill versatility. I think the power is going to be more consistent. I think getting on base is going to be more consistent. I just think current day fantasy value, Alec Thomas is going to be more productive rest of season. Even though Duran might have some louder tools and might have some hot, like, like a higher ceiling, I think Thomas is way more likely to reach his ceiling. You know, in the last 15 days, Alec Thomas has put up a 310 batting average, nine runs, two home runs eight RBI and three stolen bases, which is some really dope five category production. And I really, I, unlike Duran, I don't think he's lucked his way into any of that. Moving on to Lane Thomas. Uh, I, I'm an unabashed Lane Thomas stan, much to Jordan's chagrin earlier in the off season. I, I almost made him one of my deep dives this week until I decided that I thought it was more important to talk about Betancourt because of just how weird Betancourt's year has been. But Lane Thomas has been red hot, uh, especially with his three home run day uh, about 10 days ago. He's leading off most days. And after a slow start, once again, he looks like the hitter that he was in the second half of last year. I don't know if you guys remember, but in the second half of last year, Lane Thomas was probably, you know, not like a league winner, but a valuable, valuable bat. His patience is a little bit worse than last year. The pitcher's zone rate against him is significantly higher than it was last year. It seems like pitchers are more willing to attack him this year. And there was kind of an adjustment period there. But in Thomas's last 94 plate appearances, He's got an 11.7 walk rate, which is, you know, perfectly fine. That's good. He's got six home runs, 20 runs, 14 RBI, and a 268 average. You know, that'll play. Like over a full season, that's a monster season if he could, uh, you know, do that for 160 games. Now, also in Washington, I'm I'm disappointed here. Uh, I'm, ta- I'm going to talk about Luis Garcia a little bit. And I was expecting to like Garcia more when I started looking into him because, you know, he's a, he's he was crushing the minor leagues. He's been a top prospect in the Washington system for a long time now. And I was considering making him one of the deep dives this week, but then turns out I hate him. I mean, uh, I, I think if you guys listened a couple episodes ago, I talked about Bryson Stott and how I was strongly expecting that Stott's recent hot production would fall off and like quickly. I kind of feel the same way about Luis Garcia. But 
he does have a role. He's been playing every single day since he came up from the minors. So he will get every opportunity to fail unless the Nats are stupid enough to let Alcides Escobar get playing time again. We've we've seen with Carter Keboom that the Nationals are willing to let a flailing prospect get at least some plate appearances to prove whether they've got it or not. And at, at this moment, Luis Garcia is doing anything but flail. I think the flailing is coming, but maybe maybe uh, the good luck will continue. We'll see. But I, I will say I did not like what I saw when I was looking into his profile. Moving on to Jose Miranda, I love this bat. Over his last 65 plate appearances, he's hitting 317, not walking much, but he's got three home runs, eight runs, 12 RBI in that span. Strikeouts are mildly concerning, not not walking, like I said, but the bat, you know, if he can put the bat on the ball even just this frequently, the bat will play because he has some serious, serious thump. The one thing that I'm worried about is his playing time moving forward. Because I don't know if you guys keep track of the minor leagues or not, but Alex Kirilov is just mashing right now in the minors. Like he is just champing at the bit. He is, he should be called up. He should have been called up already. And everyone is expecting him to be called up any day now. I, I mean, that's another, you know, note to you guys. Look for Alex Kirilov on your waiver wires and add him if you have the uh, you know the ability to stash him or or put him in an NA spot or just you know on the bench or whatever because Kirilov looks raring to go. Uh, but the problem from Miranda's standpoint is that this is a potential roadblock for Miranda's playing time as Jose Miranda has been playing a lot of first base lately, and uh, a lo- Trevor Larnock seems pretty locked in in left field. Buxton, of course, in center, and uh, Kepler in right. So that really just leaves first base and DH for Miranda, unless they start letting him play third base again. I just, I'm worried. Like, Kirilov is the prospect with the better pedigree, so I do think that he will get the uh, the more promised playing time when he comes back up. But, you know, we have to see him play it by ear actually just acquired Miranda in one of my home leagues. So I, you know, I'm, I'm personally invested here and I would love for Miranda to keep getting playing time. Uh, Jorge Alfaro is a, a Jordan favorite and I'm mentioning him because Jordan might be upset with me if I don't. He's, he's been like stupid hot lately. The, uh, you know, how we, we've been named the, uh, the Island of Misfit Boys by Ellen Adair the uh, Padres are kind of like the Island of Misfit, you know, former great prospect baseball players because they just have like an army of guys who like were once heralded prospects and then flailed and now they're good again. Jorge Alfaro has been awesome. Nomar Mazzara looks good. Nomar Mazzara, of all people, looks good. Jerks and Profar has been awesome for them. Even Hosmer has had his moments this year. It's been uh, some some interesting stuff going on over in San Diego. It's like they've got they, they've got like their own brand of devil magic brewing over there. But uh, yeah, Jorge Alfaro in his last fifteen days was hitting three fifty five with three home runs, eight runs, and six ribbies. Uh, also, on the, there, there's a lot of like interesting catcher targets right now for a position that's kind of suffered overall this year. A lot of the late round targets are kind of thriving. Cal Raleigh, 
just just hit another home run today. That makes four in the last 15 days. And we called him on a previous episode, Mini Zanino, and he just keeps on doing Mini Zanino things. Now, this one uh, every week hurts my heart a little bit because of a, a former board bet that I lost because of him and because of injuries. Uh, J.D. Davis. Any longtime listener of In the Deep knows that I am a J.D. Davis stan. But, this, I mean, this one's easy. I mentioned him before when we were talking about expected results versus actual results. J.D. Davis was right next to Betancourt on the list of great expected results, poor actual results. He's wildly underperforming his batted ball data. His production is starting to creep up, similar to Betancourt, and I'm hoping that there's an outburst in his near future. Uh, over in another part of the NL East, Orlando Arcia, which is very, very Ben Kenobi vibes. That's a name I've not heard in a long time. But someone has to play with Ozzy Albies out. And Arcia has shown flashes before and already has a couple of dingers in Ozzy's absence and three on the year now. And I, I feel like Atlanta is just one of those teams that has a couple of massive, massively producing guys that uh, you wouldn't have expected at the start of the year. You know, last year it was like your your Rosarios, your Duvalls. Now, uh, I mean, Arcia looks good so far, man. He's a, he's got the pedigree. And uh, I mean, there was a there was a thing for a bit where like playoff Arcia was like a real thing because he just seemed to come in through come in in the clutch for for uh, Milwaukee in the playoffs for a couple of years there. Uh, I mentioned Nomar Mazzara before. He's kind of like a desperation outfield play, I would say. I I don't think I'm going to be rostering Mazzara in any leagues, but it's it's worth mentioning to you guys. He's a formerly very heralded prospect. He's supposed to have a strong bat. He occasionally hits like a 500-foot home run and gets the fantasy world excited. Again, I'm not going to be buying in on this, but you know, I, I got to... I got to give you guys the news, and Mazar has been good. And moving over from failed prospects to prospects that hopefully will not fail, Riley Green, probably the best prospect left in the minors at the moment, is getting the call. He was supposed to be on the opening day roster until he broke his foot. Uh, This is an easy one. Just add him wherever you can. If he's available, I would try to add him. He's got just a fantastic bat. Like there's some swing and miss to his game, but prospect reports say that he's got the kind of bat that will be productive in spite of the swing and miss. His production wasn't quite what we hoped for as he recovered from his broken foot, but again, he was you know he was recovering from an injury that that tends to happen. The Tigers are in a really rough spot now with most of their roster underperforming, and I don't know that. Riley Green is the savior, but they're, I guess they're looking for a spark. And I have a feeling they are not bringing up Riley Green to sit on the bench. You know, so sometimes you, sometimes you just got to get a, you got to get playing time for like, I don't know, Harold Castro, who's even, Willie, Willie Castro's playing center field now, Victor Reyes in right field. I think Riley Green's going to play every day. Just, you know, educated guess there. Uh, over in Pittsburgh, the possibly the most infuriating prospect story of the year. Just, it's been just so frustrating all year long. O'Neill Cruz still in the minors. 
but the Pirates have called up Leo Ver Peguero from double A straight up to the majors. I don't care. I don't care about Peguero. Uh, he's got some speed. He's got a little bit of power. I do not think he will get on base enough to use that speed to be a fantasy asset. You know, maybe he pulls a maybe he pulls a J rod and just runs like wild every time he touches first base. And then he might be a fantasy asset, but I, I do not think he, uh, I don't think the hit tool is really there for him to be a productive major league fantasy asset right now. As for O'Neill Cruz, he, the, the rumor mill is swirling that he is going to be in the majors soon. I would 100, 1000% add Cruz before Paguero. And, you know, Cruz has the potential like we've already seen it in his brief stint in the majors, his brief stint in spring training. He's already got 118, 120 mile an hour exit velo hits. Like he's absurd. Maybe there will be too much swing and miss to his game because he's basically like if Slenderman had 80 grade power. But this is the type of player that you kind of have to take a chance on because the upside is so, so high. Over in uh, Philadelphia, I've got to imagine that the word bullpen makes the entire like city of Philadelphia just cringe all at once, right? Corey Kniebel's in a rough spot. It looks like they're going to a committee. Brad Hand got the first save, which I, caused me physical pain because uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez is the best reliever in that bullpen. I, I don't know. I, I added Dominguez in a couple of places, which, you know, added to my, my, my fury, but keep an eye on it. It might be, it might be an actual committee or maybe they see Brad hand get one save and figure, well, let's just let him get all the rest. I, I guess, I guess you kind of have to add hand now after he got the first save. But, uh, you know, like I said, my target was Dominguez going just based off the skills. You know, hand is the uh, proven closer with the heaviest air quotes ever. I hope you can hear my air quotes through the uh, microphone. Uh, Dane Dunning continues to be under rostered, I think. So he's got three games of four plus runs since the start of May, which sounds really bad. It is really bad. But he's also got a 4.17 ERA in that time with a basically a K per inning and peripherals that suggest there's possible better days ahead, you know, if he can ever get a better defense behind him with all of his uh, ground balls and sinkers. He's got five quality starts in his last nine starts. Good option for quality start leagues. I just, I think Dane Dunning is, I, I, I'm surprised he's rostered in less than 20% of leagues. I don't know why I have to keep talking about him. And Zach Davies has seemingly found his changeup again because he's just on an absolute tear right now. He's got a 1.31 ERA over his last 20.2 innings, and he's gone at least six innings in each of his last three starts with seven, seven, and six strikeouts, you know, totaling 20 and only three walks. I mean, there was a time when Zach Davies was a, a valuable starter in fantasy. Maybe we're there again. Again, this is probably one that I'm not going to bank on, but there's been a lot of talk about Arizona's pitching coach, Brett Strom, you know, developing the pitching over there. Maybe, maybe they had a breakthrough with Zach Davies. I don't know. Uh, Tyler Wells keeps on being weirdly effective. 
throwing a six inning one run game against Toronto of all teams. He hasn't given up more than three runs in a start since his first start of the season. And ignoring that one early season blow up against Tampa Bay, he has a 3.10 ERA in all of his other starts. Of course, if you need K's, look elsewhere. Tyler Weld is not going to get you a lot of strikeouts. But like he's been weirdly good, and he just keeps on doing it. I wanted to talk about Andre Palante a little bit, but I'm a little bit confused about his situation because Roster Resource still has him penciled in as a starting pitcher. But he came into pitch relief for Jack Flaherty's first game off the I.L., I would keep an eye on his role because he's got an interesting high-velocity cutter. It's a, I, I think it's labeled as a four-seamer, but it has some cut action. And he's looked pretty good in his first couple of chances to start. Like I said, he's currently penciled in as a starter still. Maybe he's, he's probably the first one to go to the bullpen once Jordan Hicks and or Steven Matz get healthy. But yeah, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on this one. It's... it's could, could be an interesting arm here. And for whatever reason, I, defense and devil magic, St. Louis starters other than Steven Matz seem to overperform. Over uh, in the AL Central, Jonathan Heasley has had a really good run lately. Like he decimated the Orioles the other day, but he might be one of those Kikuchi-esque guys that needs his peak velocity to be truly good, but he doesn't always have that peak velocity. It's like when he's throwing 95, he's great. When he's throwing 93, eh, you might not want to start him. So this is another one that I'm keeping an eye on, maybe not necessarily adding, but kind of monitoring his velocity from start to start. Like I said, he decimated the Orioles, and that was without the good velocity. So maybe he's a good streamer against bad teams. So I'm keeping an eye, maybe adding as a streamer. But yeah, that's that's about all I got on him. And the last player I want to talk about is Chris Archer, which is a name I did not think I would be saying this year in any situation. He's been pretty good. Uh, the thing here is that he doesn't throw many innings. If he doesn't get stretched out, I'm not interested. He's interesting though. Like I, I am keeping an eye to see if, you know, any more innings materialize, if they feel like they can stretch him out anymore, but hang on, I'm pulling this up. Yeah. He hasn't thrown more than five innings yet this year. And he's only reached, he, he's only pitched in the fifth inning in two of his 12 starts. Now those two starts were two of his last three starts so maybe they're stretching him back out a little bit. But he's also got a 3-3-5 ERA. And with all of the ERA indicators being closer to 5. So he could also just be getting really lucky. Yeah, I, I'm. this is another one that the surface numbers might look okay. But I am not taking any action here. All right, so that is it for me. Uh, I'm sorry to once again have to uh, have to subject you to just, you know, 30 straight minutes of me talking. But uh, yeah, like I said, if, if you ever have any mailbag questions or anything you want to reach out and say to us, you can reach out at our email account at in the deep P, uh, sorry, in the deep PL at gmail.com. 
or at any of our Twitter accounts, our shared account in the deep PL, Jordan's account at Bunt Singles, or my account at Schwebzy. And that's all I've got for you guys, and I will see you next week. Bye, friends. Thank you.